Welcome back. You're watching Stockworks with me, Juliette Televi, and joining me to take your stock-related questions this evening are Jonathan Fisher from PSG Wealth Centre and Grayston and Grant Nader from Benguela Global Fund Managers. If you'd like to send questions to us, please SMS 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Jonathan, Grant, good evening to you both. Uh, Grant, if I may start with you this evening. It was a pretty good day for gold shares, and you can sort of understand why, as uh, the extreme conflict in the Middle East um, spills over and sort of sucks everything in its path. Um, and then, of course, uh, the oil price rallying on the back of that. So ultimately, not a great day for markets, but as I say, a good day for gold shares. Um, is that inevitable that you would have people hiding in gold, um, given the chaos that has uh, engulfed the region over the past couple of days? Yeah, uh, yes, hi, Juliet. Good evening, everyone. Certainly, gold is is always that safe haven. There's that default knee-jerk reaction to you know safe haven. But coupled with the fact that gold has had a, a really decent pullback in the last couple of weeks, so that's you know it's almost the timing is almost perfect in regard to to gold the way it looks on the charts. But you know, aside from that, fundamentally, gold is unattached to any country, any monetary system, um, and it is the sort of ultimate independent safe haven. So I'm not surprised at all. Uh, you know, what I will say, though, is when it comes to conflict and wars, nine times out of 10, it has not paid you to get bearish on the back of a conflict mm. or a terrorist uh, attack or anything like that. As an investor, you know, you need to keep a level head uh, and not get emotional about it when you're playing it in the market. Yeah. Jonathan, your thoughts there? Uh, is actually the bigger concern not what is happening um, in Israel at the moment, but what had happened on the bond markets last week? Is really that where, as investors, you need to f uh, spend a bit more time reading up on what's going on? Look, I think um, this conflict in Israel is actually the catalyst for the jump in the gold price, platinum price, and the oil price over the weekend. I mean, I was just looking at the gold chart, platinum chart, palladium chart, oil chart for the last couple of days. And it's amazing. I mean, like since yesterday morning, all of them have jumped up considerably. And then you look at the individual shares, you know, between gold 4 to 7% across the board, that's local shares. I haven't looked at the offshore uh, gold shares. The platinum shares, similar trend. Uh, the platinum, palladium shares, similar trend. And oil the, the one year Cecil um, spiking as well. But, you know, I do agree that, you know, one's got to be careful. Yeah, it's a trading opportunity, but like, quite frankly, how confident or how good would you feel about, you know, making a profit on a gold position in a short space of time uh, due to the demise of people and a war breaking out? Um, you know, talk about ESG and, you know, not feeling good about that kind of situation or, or profiting on other mm. people's demise. Um, that happens. I do recall when 9-11 happened uh, way back, way back, what was that, 22 years ago, there were people around us. I mean, uh, one guy in particular that nearly shot through the ceiling. He was so excited because he <laughs> took such a big position in a um, a gold warrant and a and he made a hell of a lot of money overnight. But that's, you know, is what it is. Eh? Yeah. Gold, gold for trading. I mean, sure. I, 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 yeah. I've never been one to, to invest in gold fundamentally or gold shares fundamentally because they can just be too volatile. And yeah. they are volatile. Sure. And, you know, and taking aside maybe the moral aspect of the market aside, because 
Yeah. Uh, I, it's very hard to call morality in the stock market. But going back maybe to my point about the bond market blowout last week, which I, where I feel that we are on maybe safer um, moral and philosophical ground. Um, Grant, how worried should we have been by that? Um, I saw a couple of people on Twitter today, or on X rather, um, drawing some parallels to the stock market crash of 1987, saying that there had been a big increase in bond yields prior to that event. Of course, there were uh, a concatenation of events uh, that precipitated the 87 crash. Um, should we be worried that that's about what has played out in the bond market of the last uh, couple of weeks? So my answer around whether it portends some sort of calamitous uh, crash as in October 87, I don't think that's what our base case should be at all. However, the moves in the bond market are material. And, and for context, the stock market is the tail and the bond market is the dog. I mean, it's a far bigger uh, investment universe. The, the amount of money that flows through the bond market dwarfs the equity markets. So those moves and the bond market, especially the, the U.S. Treasuries, are notoriously low volatility instruments. Well, they used to be. Uh, and the last year and a half has been quite the opposite. The volatility has been staggering. It's taken a lot of them uh, off guard. Uh, some of it has to do with the, the banks being constrained as as market makers um, with the new regulatory requirements. But the, the sharp rise in rates longer term is a number of factors. One potentially is the changing mindset around inflation as a structural problem. And the other one being this excess, uh, this debt issuance of the U.S., uh, people are losing appetite. They're requiring a, a greater return for the long-term risk that they're being forced to take week in, week out in mm. massive quantities of money. And uh, I feel like the U.S. debt is out of control and people are starting to reprice that somewhat in these yields. And that is a concern. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, you, uh, we started the year with the collapse of um, of Silicon Valley Bank because of a huge spike in bond yields and 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 then things kind of calmed down mid-year and here we are again in a bond market frenzy and i wonder if we should be a little bit more nervous about some other financial institutions jonathan um has it started affecting u.s banks in particular is that something that you would maybe shy away from at this point sorry uh you're asking about u.s banks uh just saying that silicon valley bank one of the factors that precipitated its collapse was the big spike in bond yields. And then the markets sure. kind of rallied and uh, uh, gathered themselves together. And there was a, a period of calm, shall we say. Would you be nervous of investing in particularly U.S. financial shares at this juncture? No, not really. I think um, you know one's got to look at or differentiate between an SVB and let's say JP Morgan um, that's well capitalized um, in a much bigger type of business with a different balance sheet. Um, so I think it's, you know, the niche players that got caught with the wrong uh, debt on their books and repay the debt. SVB and a few others, I can't remember the others' uh, names, but I don't think um, it didn't turn out to be a structural problem in that uh, U.S. banking market. And I don't think it's an, a, a big issue currently for some of those big banking uh, companies in the U.S. So I'm not worried about those. I don't know whether there's going to be other but um, what's the word? Um, smaller U.S. banks that could get caught out uh, yeah. over the next uh, month or two. Perhaps there are. Hopefully that won't happen, but I don't know. Yeah. Grant, I mean, you said you're worried about U.S. debt at, at government level. Are, are mm. Your thoughts on, on some of the, the smaller listed banks out there? 
Yeah, I think the regional banks are, are vulnerable and they also are more heavily exposed to the commercial real estate market, which is another area that's incredibly vulnerable to these uh, sharply higher rates. And so as we start to see refinancing requirements as these, um, a lot of these guys, companies and and commercial real estate manage to refinance, you know, some term loans out three, four, five years. But And that's why we haven't seen such a big impact in, this, in the market from these rate hikes. But as those refinancing needs surface at four or five percent higher than they were before you you that's when you'll see who's really been swimming naked and <laughs> yeah. i'm not saying it's it's going to be a, a disaster but i'm saying there potentially are cracks that could appear um in the smaller system and in the commercial real estate space so i'd also, i'd be cautious yes jp morgan and the big boys are fine um and the fed will always backstop them anyway the smaller guys I'd, I'd be careful of staying, of getting involved in anything there. Yeah. Okay. Um, another question, and which pertains to the events of the last couple of days, uh, the viewer says the oil. Um, oh, good day for Shell. Uh, the share price is up nearly three percent today on the back of the Israel Hamas war. Same uh, fifty years ago when I paid nine cents per liter, and then twenty two percent up more after the Yom Kippur war. Oil stocks still have a place in one's portfolio. So, one's thoughts about. Uh, the conflict notwithstanding. Jonathan, is that, would you say that oil shares have a constant place in one's portfolio or are they a bit like gold shares or a bit like uh, slightly more generalized commodity stocks that you actually also have to trade them, that you know you don't just put away a shell and in the bottom drawer um, and look at it occasionally? So I do think oil stocks um, do play a role in a diversified portfolio. And in fact, we do own them um, on the offshore portfolios. In fact, one of my stock tips is related to the oil uh, drilling industry, in a, in, mostly in America. Mm. Um, but yes, I think, um, you know, it's a commodity that basically is used for industry. Um, and it's a finite commodity um, until, until a proper replacement is found um, going forward, I don't, I don't think it's going to uh, be substituted anytime soon. I can't see commercial airlines flying around without using gas or oil um, for the next hundred years or so, um, unless Elon Musk or one of his uh, peers comes up with some fancy technology. But all I'm saying is it's a finite um, uh, resource, and I think it's going to be around for a while. You know, We know OPEC do control the price to a large extent, um, for the benefit of them and the oil companies, um, rightly or wrongly so. Um, but I agree. I, I do think that oil and oil stocks do have a place in a uh, uh, share portfolio. Grant, do you agree or do you disagree? Or uh, do you think maybe uh, temporarily? Uh, and would you be buying oil-related companies at this point? I think you can always make a case, and I think we must always remember, especially for anyone who's managing their own money, if you're looking for diversification, something like oil is a good diversifier. So have some in the portfolio by all means, but I wouldn't be all in all the time. I think it is it is cyclical. Uh, it's going to come and get hurt if there's a recession. Uh, they are getting a better control and ag- agreement of, act- of production management through OPEC, so that's in support. Um, so... Yeah, there's a place for it, but you know, it's just I think it's it's like most things nowadays. It's there's not many things you just put in the bottom drawer and forget about. Mm. You know, they said that about a lot of stocks twenty or thirty years ago. They said it about the Nifty Fifty. Uh, I think you need a level of awareness uh, and and have that diversification. So by all means, have some oil, 
but manage and, and be aware of the cycle that is behind it. Uh, one company that is, I suppose you could say, related to oil stocks is Combined Motor Holdings. Uh, and the viewer says, please ask your distinguished guests if they rate Combined Motor Holdings as a hold or a buy. It currently trades on a PE of approximately 4.6 and a dividend yield of 14.3%, despite the current economic headwinds in South Africa. Uh, Jonathan, is this a stock that you look at? So... Quite frankly, I haven't looked at that for some time, so we don't own it. But I think, from what I recall, the full year results were actually very good. Um, I think they grew earnings by like 25 or 30%, and dividends were up strongly and so forth. Um, you know, And like your viewer says, they, they look very cheap on those uh, uh, very um, compelling multiples and yields. So they are a February year end, and... The August half year would be coming up now. I think they're going to be reporting in the next week or two. Mm. And it will be interesting to see whether they maintain that same kind of growth trajectory, um, you know, that they did for the full year last year, uh, or certainly in comparison to the half year last year. Yeah. Um, Look, I, it's, it's not mm. one that I say, you know, I've looked at it thoroughly and I think uh, this is a great company and you're going to invest in it. Mm. So... Perhaps Grant's looked at it. I don't know. I don't know too well. Grant, certainly on the show last week, we had Jean-Pierre Fester on, and he was saying that it's one of his favorite local stocks. It is mm. maybe somewhat more liquid. Um, and certainly it was his pick over Zida, which is the company that was spun out from mm. Barla World at the end of last year. Um, does that tempt you in, the fact that it's got such a fat dividend yield? Uh, or is that actually problematically a reflection on a share price that doesn't seem to really go very far, mm. which is why the ratios um, are flattered, um, as it were. So I think it is a small cap. So, I mean, we don't hold it either because of the size. But what I will say is it is a good management team. They run a good business. They manage their cash flow very well. And uh, are, But one must be aware that things look optically cheap in, in a market like this where we've got no growth. And things could that PE multiple could expand by virtue of the fact that earnings come under pressure, mm. um, not because the stock rallies. The dividend yield is maybe not realistic in that, you know, twelve months from now they could go through some some challenges as the economy gets worse. But there's certainly a good margin of safety in that price. I think you can. I think you could be a, a, a buyer of that, understanding that in terms of the economic cycle, we probably have a bit more pain before we in, head into sort of the downturn in rates and maybe a peak in the site, and then you'll start to see their earnings start to come through a bit better. They might have benefited from the base effect of uh, COVID still in their last set of numbers. Yeah. I mean, you could actually see that uh, to some extent from famous brands trading update today. It wasn't a great trading update, and it was quite a wide range. They said that headline mm. earnings would be between 17% weaker and 3% up for the first half period, and they cited the pressures of load shedding, the the costs associated uh, with load shedding, and of course the consumer strain that everyone is buckling under. Jonathan, yes. um, the shares came off uh, on on famous brands today. W would the sell off tempt you in, or do you think anything to do with the South African consumer at this point is something that you'd want to stay away from? Oh, tough business to be in. Um, you know. Um, I think Spur actually did far better than famous brands. Um, different model to some degree. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't veer into famous brands at the moment. I think it's just too difficult. Mm. 
you know, for the reasons that they mentioned. So if you want to go for consumer-type business, maybe something different in the retail sector. Uh, but your famous brands, uh, you kind of got to feel sorry for some of these um, companies playing in our market right, where certain things are going on that they can't really control. Yeah. They can try and mitigate, but it's very difficult. Yeah, certainly sucks up uh, any profits that may be, uh, may be made by these companies. Grant, do you have any thoughts on, on famous brands or Spur? I mean, as Jonathan said, they came out with an, Spur came out with an absolutely fantastic set of results and the share rallied uh, on mm-hmm. the back of that. But I wonder if things in the last few weeks you know, have fallen back a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think everything Jonathan said is spot on. You need to be a little bit careful of consumer stocks, but remember that the best time to buy them is also when no one wants to touch them. So I think there is value in things like a CMH, um, but you understand you need to have a longer-term view. You want, Don't worry about what's going to happen in the next couple of months. It could go anywhere. You know, take a long view and you might find opportunity. Famous brands, not my favorite either. I think I feel like there's a lack of innovation from management there. Um, you know, I think Spur has been far more innovative in driving new revenue streams and new opportunities. So I think they're doing a better job of this tough economy. They're all facing a strained consumer, load shedding, slow economy, etc. And it's you're seeing the best management teams stand out right now in terms of who's actually managing to navigate this incredibly tough market and who is struggling. Uh, and so I would always lean into those quality companies that are standing out. Um, there's a number of them. And in this case, I'd say Spur definitely stands out over famous brands. Yeah, well, I was hoping we would get the share price to show us what's uh, been happening of late. But moving along to Lewis, uh, which is another cons- um, consumer-focused company, the viewer asks, is it looking cheap? Jonathan, have you had a look at Lewis recently? Not really, but Lewis always looks cheap. Um, <laughs> and has, has been looking cheap for like the past five or ten years. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's not on my radar. It's not on my list to invest in. Um now, the share price, I think, has come from about 50-odd rand. Yeah, down at 38 you know, rand. Last year, down to 38 rand. Um, you yeah. know, it's trading on a multiple of four and a dividend yield of 10%. But I don't know. There's obviously a reason for that. And uh, yeah, I, I haven't looked at it strongly and closely. But I just know that in my mind, Lewis has always been cheap. Mm. Which is probably why the group has spent quite a lot of money buying back its own shares of the last uh, five years, probably. Uh, I, I think I've got Typical that right. value stock. Yeah. Value stock, value trap. Uh, I mean, Grant, is this another share that's, uh, where you have to worry that maybe the PE unwinds because things are just so difficult? Mm-hmm. Um, or do you think Lewis actually has a handle on things and this is a share that you would be snapping up at a very discounted rate? Uh, you know, as I said, there's a lot of cheap stocks at the moment and sifting through them is, is the critical point as you raise. So I don't think Lewis is one that I would pick because I don't like the segment they play in. They really play on a tough uh, low end of the market and they're relying on credit to some extent. And I think it's a difficult business model that they have. Um, for me, it's not a high quality business. I would stay away from it. Hmm. Okay. Uh, the news flow was skinny today, it must be said. Uh, Sirius, um, the real estate company, came out with an update, uh, which seemed quite decent. They talked about, in Germany in particular, things going well. Um, their rent roll growth, uh, I guess the, that's the the rentals that they are signing onto the business, um, up 7.7%. 
Jonathan, Sirius was a, a very strong performer and then it kind of came off the boil, um, in, particularly after uh, um, Russia invaded Ukraine last year. There were a lot of fears about what it would do to the German economy with its reliance on, on um, Russian gas, etc., etc. Uh, would you look at Sirius at all, um, especially given the strength of the updates it's been putting out in the last um, couple of quarters? No, not, not really. Um, you know, there has been somewhat of a recovery in the share price since October last year. Um, it's, uh, you know, uh, it's very difficult, I think, these days to be making um, decent money in the property sector unless you're in a good logistics business and they've got good assets. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, I'm a bit hesitant to look at these, even these offshore property companies um, where you do get benefit from, from rand depreciation. But Are, are you, you sort know, of quite negative on property companies in general, irrespective of whether they need to be diversified? No, generally, I'm concerned. I'm concerned because I think inflation is a big problem, not only here, but you know, in other developed markets. And, you know, you've got to think of these landlords owning all these companies that are, own all these properties, keeping up with inflation, keeping up with the cost to run those properties and passing those on to the, the end renter or person or companies leasing from them. Mm. So unless, you know, the mix of properties is strong, and like I said, I think logistics is doing the best out of, you know, all the niches within that sector. Um, and you've got to be picky about, you know, not just any logistics property company, but ones that are doing well and have got good assets and good tenants. You know, the loan to values of these property companies vary between 40 to 50%, I'm guessing. With interest rates are high, it's becoming an issue for them yeah. to be profitable. So, so just generally, you know, I'm, I'm not um, optimistic generally about the sector as a whole. Grant, do you share um, Jonathan's lack of optimism or do you think that there are some interesting property plays that are, are worth it? Uh, so, no, I don't. I mean, I typically haven't been a fan of property for quite a long time, but I do think there's a time and a place for everything. And, and when we've seen aggressive rate hikes that has hurt them the way this has, um, we've seen it globally in Europe, it's when you should start looking at these companies because they benefit from um, a rate cycle that's declining. So we will see a peak in rates at some point in the next six months, 12 months even. Uh, and and from there, rates will go sideways or down, and that will start to benefit property companies. You'll see some potential for capital appreciation. Sirius operates in Germany, which is currently in a recession. Yeah. They'll come through that at some point. And, you know, as I said again, you don't want to be buying these things when 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 rates have fallen 3% and economies are already pumping because you've, yeah. you've missed the real opportunity. Yeah. Um, they have a proper. They are exposed to offices and industrial complexes, so you have to have a bit of a view on what happens with office. But effectively, it could be in the price. I don't know Sirius well, but I think there's a case for having a look at it, given the, the, where we are in the cycle of the macro picture. Okay, so which companies do both of you favour? And that leads me to your topics, Jonathan. What takes your fancy this evening? Right. So we spoke about um, oil uh, earlier. There's a company listed in America called Halliburton. It's got a $34 billion market cap. And what this company does, they're basically oil field services company. 
So they drill holes, they maintain the oil fields um, and supply all the equipment and technology into oil fields around the world. Um, they got quite big exposure to North America, which is a good thing because the Biden administration is encouraging a lot of oil exploration um, based on the need to be independent of um, other countries' oil. Mm. So it's a great business. Um, you know, just looking at some of the, the uh, some of the ratios, um, just looking at their balance sheet, they've got interest cover ratio of eight and a half times. Um, their margins are very high, and we expect that to increase over the next two or three years. Um, <clears throat> In the last financial year, they grew earnings by 8%, 8%. And going forward for the next three years, we expect compounded annual growth rate of around 34%. Okay. Um, price earnings 14 times, um, which is below the 21% below their five-year average yeah. okay. um, of I, 17 times. Um, I can talk a whole lot yeah, about Yeah, I've got this, to cut you off there. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, that's the name of the yes. business. Joe Biden, George W. Bush, they don't seem too different. Uh, Grant, what is your stock this evening? Um, so I'm, I'm going for United Health. I think it's uh, one of the biggest healthcare players in the world, if not the biggest. Uh, it's, it's uh, you know, I think in this difficult time and uncertain economic outlook, healthcare is very defensive. This is a high quality business. They generate 26 billion of free cash flow a year. They've got, um, you know, they're trading at a fair multiple for quality business. Growing in double digits in mid to low teens. Um, and they've generally been performing incredibly well. They play in normal healthcare and they also integrate data and software through a lot of what they offer. Uh, it's a really good business in a really good space and it's defensive and it's trading at a reasonable price relative to its history. So, so that's my pick. Okay, great. We shall leave it there. Grant, Jonathan, thank you very much uh, for joining us this evening. Jonathan Fisher is from PSG Wealth Centre and Grayston Grant Neder is from Benguela Global Fund Managers. Coming up to the close, stay with us.